This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, here's what's happening at Right From The Deep. As always, thank you to our Patreon sponsors. We appreciate you guys more than we can possibly say. Your encouragement, your financial help make this show possible. And you can find out more about that if you want to consider becoming a sponsor as well at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash right from the deep. And a special thanks to our July sponsor of the month, Tammy Partlow. Yay, Tammy! She's a speaker at women's retreats, and her debut novel, Blood Beneath the Pines, is a suspense set in the Deep South, and that is now available. She's hard at work on the next book in the series. Yeah, and I am going to the Florida Christian Writers Conference at the Yake, Yake, Lake Yale Conference Center. Try saying that fast in Leesburg, <laughs> Florida, and that's October 19th through 23rd. I hope to see you guys there. You can find out more at word-weavers.com slash Florida events. And it's my turn to share a wonder, and I know... This may sound like a small thing, but to me, it's a big thing because Alan and I needed to go and visit his mother-in-law. Her health has been failing for some time and she's in nursing care. Her memory is, well, she's just kind of not there so much anymore. And that's very sad for us, but we wanted to go and visit her and we wanted to bring our new puppy, Ellie. And Alan's mom loves animals and they like to have, you know, dogs come into the nursing center. That doesn't happen a lot. And so we really were hoping we could bring her. And so it worked out for us to do that. But here's the thing, guys. It was going to be a difficult trip, but Ellie was so good. The puppy was so good in the car. You know, some dogs, I've heard horror stories, I know, some of them don't travel well at all. And Allie just was such a trooper. And Alan's mom, she truly did not know who we were, but she knows what a dog is. <laughs> she was so happy to see the dog. So for me, it's a wonder that God oversees these small things and makes difficult situations easier with these kinds of little blessings. So you guys look for the little blessings because little wonders are still wonders and they're still amazing and they're still a gift. And now here's, here's the, the show. show. Welcome, listeners, into the deep with us. We are so glad you're here. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we just finished a great interview with Shadia Hrishi, and she writes Bible studies, her joy and her excitement over studying God and His Word. That was such a delight for us, and we want to keep that spark going in this next podcast with a continuation of our series on God's attributes. I cannot stress this enough. We need to know 
God, the real God. Uh, To paraphrase what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message, we need to be faced with God as he is, not as we imagine him to be. This is a danger, guys. We cannot just imagine the kind of God that we want, and it's so easy to do that, but it becomes a God we've made up and not the God that he revealed truly to us of himself. We can't just imagine a God or make it up because that's an idol. So I want to encourage us again to know God as he revealed himself, as he truly is. So let's go ahead and consider the first attribute, which is one that I have been so thankful for over the last several months. As many of you know, My husband and I are in the process of moving um, to Washington from Oregon, selling our home, buying a home. Oh, sure. That's not easy. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's been a turbulent time, I can tell you. And here's what I love about God, this characteristic of God. God is never overwhelmed by emotions. Mm. Never. Everything in God is perfect, and that includes emotions. For us, though, for humans... Our experience of emotions is imperfect, meaning we can be overwhelmed and influenced by them. And boy, howdy, have Don and I been influenced (laughs) by them lately. The emotions we humans experience have been given to us by God because they're a part of who he is. It's how he reveals himself to us. But just as our understanding of God is incomplete and imperfect, our understanding of emotions is the same. Yes, God has emotions, but with him they are perfect They are never overwhelming, and he is not controlled by them. Mm. So when you consider Don and me trying to communicate where I say something and the way he hears it is is so warped by his perceptions and his emotions that it comes out the total opposite of what I was saying. And so he gets frustrated, and he comes back, and then I hear through my own filters and warped things, and then it just gets really ugly. And that (laughs) never happens with God. Because we know that he understands us even in the midst of these messy, confused, turbulent emotions, but we never, ever have to worry about him being arbitrary or moody for no reason or any of a host of other things that we humans not only experience but allow to influence us. This is why it's so important to realize that emotions are seldom, if ever, a good measuring stick for us for reality. Our emotions cloud our judgment, cloud the things that we say and the things that we do, but emotions will never cloud God's judgment. Mm. His emotions are as stable and unchangeable as he is, which means he will never, ever stop loving us. We can trust him without reservation. He doesn't communicate in his messages. He doesn't base his love for us on how many books we've published, how many books we've sold, what our marketing programs are. His love for us is simply based on who he is and that we are his creation and his children through Christ. Mm. His emotions are stable and we can trust him in every facet of what we're doing. I love that. And following right up on that, when we're talking about stable with his emotions, God is also our rock. 
That's stable, right? I love this imagery in um, Psalm 18 too. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And Isaiah 26, 4 says, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I love the imagery of rock. It makes me think of strength and refuge and solid and unfailing. There are maybe just nothing in this world that's certain or solid. Look at the stock market lately, y'all. It's up, it's down and down some more. Look at what's happening in countries, the awful situation with what Russia's doing, invading Ukraine, and just the constant battles over, you know, pieces of land since the dawn of civilization. Look at our health. One minute we're fine, the next, you know, we're facing cancer or who knows what. Look at our houses. You know, one minute it's there and the next minute there's a fire, you know, and it's it's all gone. Look at technology. One time I couldn't get into our website because a plug-in had gone haywire and it was blocking me from getting into our website. Okay, that's a surprise. Nothing is stable. People aren't stable. They were wonderful. We love them, but they make mistakes. They don't live forever. Readers, readers are wonderful, but they can be fickle. They can give you good reviews, bad reviews. Who knows? Contracts come and go. The writing industry changes, upheaval. It goes on and on. But God, God is steady, secure, solid, eternal. You can hope in him. You can cling to him. You can trust in him. He is not going anywhere ever. God is our rock. I love that. And not only is he our rock, but he is El Roy. That is one of his names. And it means the strong one who sees. Mm. We see that first in Genesis 16, 13. But in Psalm 3.3, it tells us this, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. This God that is our rock and he is the strong one, he sees, he sees everything that we experience, every joy, every disappointment, every difficult thing that we face, every triumph that we experience. God is there and he sees and he's the strong one. He's almighty. Nothing is stronger than God. No publisher is stronger than God. No readers, no reviews, no nothing. We are not stronger than God. When we start to question what we're doing and if we're doing it right, turn to God. He's the strong one who sees you. He sees your disappointment. He sees your your insecurity. He sees all of it and he will respond. Mm. You never have to deal with anything on this writing journey alone because God is there. He's the strong one who's almighty. He's able, he's capable, he's willing, and he sees you. Never mm. doubt that. I love that because what would it matter if he was the weak one who sees you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> it would matter not, a lot. Not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> But the fact that he sees and is strong, now he can do something about what he sees. I love it. Um, our next attribute is that God is our rewarder. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, 
knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Guys, it's so easy to see measures of earthly success, right? How many copies got sold? How many contracts we got or awards or reader reviews or whatever, whatever, whatever. But earthly success cannot be the measuring stick of our writing because like how much weight are you going to put on giving somebody hope? What, what is that worth in dollars? It's, it's just not dollars or sales or, or, or acclaim or whatever. That's not the right measuring stick. Our job is to please God, to be obedient to him and to work for the reward that only God can give. And I'm not saying it's wrong to make money as a writer because that might be your earthly job. But it's God who provides that money because he knows your needs. And ultimately, God is the one who provides the reward we were all made for, heaven. Check this out from 1 Peter 1.4. It says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Guys, that's our reward. And guess what? No one can take it away because our Father gives it to us and He keeps it safe and He and it is perfect. The next thing that we want to talk about is that God is a great king. Now, we talked previously in this series about God being sovereign, that He rules over all and He works all things according to His plan. But in thinking about God as king, what I want to highlight is respect, the reverence and honor that's due to God as a great king, the greatest king, right? In our culture, I mean, singers, TV stars, movie stars, professional athletes, billionaires, you know, self-help gurus, gamers, even, yes, household name authors, they are all given incredible status. And at the same time, the king of the entire universe, the maker of all reality, has his name tossed around in profanity. How many people don't even believe their maker exists? That's appalling. I want us to take some time to think about how we treat God, his name, his reputation. How do we go about speaking to him or talking about him? I mean, like there's still a queen in England. If she were coming to your house, how would you treat her? How would you pay attention to her or speak to her? I feel like we might, you know, be like, hey, we should stop what we're doing and give you the time of day. You know, it's just, it, it's a whole different ball game, right? Because she's the queen. <laughs> That's the kind of reverence and awe that is sometimes missing in our interactions with God. We're in danger of becoming too focused on God as our friend, which he is, but we forget to fear and revere him. I love this verse in Malachi 1.14. It says, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. In other words, not giving his best, right? For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So meditate on the respect and awe and honor that God deserves, how he deserves our best effort in everything as a writer, as a person. This is what's going to keep you humble and meek and service oriented and focused on what truly matters in this life, on honoring our great king. Amen. 
And there's no better thing for us to do than to honor him, because another name of God in the scripture is Yahweh Sabaoth, and that means the Lord of hosts. The hosts are considered the heavenly beings that God created. He is the Lord, the commander of heaven's armies, heaven's hosts. According to Scottish preacher and expositor Alexander McLaren, by that title, the Lord of hosts, the prophets and psalmist meant to express the universal dominion of God over the whole universe in all its battalions and sections, which they conceived of as one ranked army hmm. obedient to the voice of the great general and ruler of them all. So how much is a host? Well, how many people <laughs> or how many heavenly hosts are there? Well, you know, it talks about at the birth of Jesus, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Scripture doesn't specify how many or how many, but if you look at Daniel 7.10 and Re Revelation 5.11, and if you take them literally, they both talk about 10,000 times 10,000, which equals 100 million <laughs> heavenly hosts serve the eternal. So it's countless. It's multitudinous. There's no way to know how many, but I tell you what, it's a whole lot more than any of the armies here on the earth. And Psalm 46.11 tells us the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Aaron talked about the struggles in the world. There is a war on truth and righteousness and godliness taking place. There has been since the beginning of time, but in our time right now, it seems to be intensifying and it feels like righteousness and godliness and good and truth are losing. The state of the world is clear evidence that there is a spiritual battle being waged and intensifying. But the wonder is that we don't need to fear this battle or its outcome. Indeed, we are commanded to take part by appealing to God, the leader of heaven's armies, the Yahweh Sabaoth, and ask him to mobilize those heavenly armies to bring down evil. Cool. And in our writing, we must stay faithful to God's truth in what we put on paper. We cannot let the world force us to water down God's truth. Will it be easy to stand? like this? Of course not. When has war ever been easy? Right. But remember, Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We do that by calling on the Lord of hosts and asking him to mobilize his armies to attack and defeat evil. If we authors stand under pressure from publishers, if we feel like David's facing Goliath, then we can echo David's words in 1 Samuel 17.45. Remember, David was just a kid when he's looking at this giant. He's facing this enormous Goliath. And what does he say to him? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, or parenthetically, sensitivity readers and canceling <laughs> contracts and demands in marketing. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of heaven's hosts. Mm. Friends, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear anything. You are a follower of Yahweh Sabaoth, and you can implore him and beseech him and ask him to immobilize those heavenly hosts, that army, in order to help us fight evil. Love it. The next thing is that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." I love this translation because we're authors and we can relate to what it means to author something, you know, the author, Jesus being the author of our faith. Other translations uh, translations say things like the pioneer and the founder and the leader and the source, originator, champion, initiator, maker of faith. But Jesus did more than just make it. Word biblical commentary translates it like this, the champion in the exercise of faith and the one who brought faith to complete expression. That's Jesus, the one who brought faith to complete expression. Why is this important? Because it's imperative that we keep our eyes on Jesus who first designed this whole concept of faith, but then who also came to earth to demonstrate what perfect faith looked like. Now, are we ever going to be perfect? No, (laughs) but we have that picture to aim for in every step of our lives through adversity and joy. And of course, it's not our own, right? But as the author, Jesus has this unlimited supply to share with us. He gives us faith. He builds our faith. He helps support our faith. That's who he is, the author and perfecter of our faith. And last but not least on our list today, God is one. He's the only true God. There are no other gods who exist. They are false gods. There are no other gods beside him. He's unique. Even these other gods that the world has created, that people have created, there is no other faith based on love and grace and sacrifice and redemption. God is unique. There's nobody else like him. In Isaiah 43.10, we see, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. In Isaiah 44.8, it says, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Mm. And then Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, one God. And you know what's amazing? This unique omnipresent, almighty, transcendent, utterly amazing, one, unique God loves you, (laughs) loves you, and loves me, and has given everything to restore us to himself. So as we think about these attributes of God, I want us to end with Psalm 113. Listen, listen and praise with me. Praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same.